1: Well, hello and welcome to another Freaky Friday. It is Friday, July 22nd, in the year of our Lord 2022. <laughs> <laughs> in the year in the year of our Freaky 2022. Mm. And uh, what a freaky year it's been and we have some freaky tales. Christy, you've curated quite a collection yet again. You always outdo yourself. Well, I appreciate that. We I'm very excited
2: because the first one we have is an update Love an update. Love an update from a story that a lot of people were taken with. And then we have one that relates to our most recent episode, the Mark Twain National Forest. It didn't
1: happen in that forest, but freaky forest stuff. Freaky forest stuff. And the last story, in and around our neighborhood, home, my hometown, Mesquite. It is. So.
2: And I was going to, when we get there, I'm going to ask you if you had heard of this, because I think
1: it was kind of big. Big story, big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, We'll get there in due course. Yes. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky.
2: Like I said, this first one is an update. This one's from McKaylee Kirkland, and she wrote in about the murder house that her and her friends took a stroll through, and she has an update. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for reading my story on the Freaky Friday episode. For the sake of word count on my last submission, I left some details out that you had questions on. I ended up visiting the house a few more times after the original encounter, but did not have the same bravery to embark back into the house again. My sister and I peeked into the garage window to see boxes and boxes of unopened envelopes and mail. Clearly someone had been getting the mail and storing it. In our last and most uncanny visit we made to the house, my sister and I noticed the gray truck was gone, and even more chilling was that the window Kindle broke was boarded up. Before we could even form words, a tall, slender woman emerged from the garage. She was older, with her gray hair tied in a bun on the top of her head. She politely asked if she could help us. I was dumbfounded and stuttered out that we were just taking a short cut back to our house through the woods. I would have thought she was a ghost if my sister wasn't just as shocked as I was about her presence. We ran home and never went back to the house again. The yard, more like a forest, became incredibly overgrown. The wooden mailbox eventually rotted away. My parents ended up getting a divorce, which caused us to move away from our eerie neighbor. After a year or so, I did tell my dad about the strange house. And to my shock, he believed every word. He also told me that the husband and wife that owned the house had an adult son. They ended up moving out of state and left the house to their son. My dad also confirmed that the gray truck would drive by our house promptly at 3.05 every day. Then one day it just stopped passing by. About a year after we moved away, the house was demolished and completely rebuilt. My dad thinks, and I agree, that the son did something awful, got the hell out of Dodge, and left the parents to cover for him. Hence the woman, his mother I'm guessing, boarding up the window and destroying the house with all evidence inside. I wish as a 14-year-old that I had the guts to go to the police about it, but I was convinced I was overreacting and knew no one would believe us. I also wish I had told my dad sooner, because I did not think he would have believed me either. I still hope that it was nothing but an old abandoned house with a wine stain on the carpet, but I can't help but wonder, Thanks for taking the time to read. I love all you do, and the next time you're in Nashville, don't forget to stop by the Wild Beaver Bar. Love, McKay.
1: Wow. Running into a person in there. That is the ultimate breaking into a house. That's the number one fear. Aside from, like, ghouls. And she sounded <laughs> ghoulish, though. So a she human did. ghoul or a supernatural ghoul. Yeah. And you,
2: have, you, doing? you had the question last time about the mail and if someone mm-hmm. was taking care of it. So... Clearly, someone was stopping by and tending to certain things. If they were older, maybe they couldn't take care of the yard and stuff like that. But they were putting the mail away. And it's a a weird scene still. I don't feel any better about this knowing any of it. I'm glad some questions were answered. And I'm glad that her dad – I'm glad, Michaela, your dad believed you too. And that just goes to show, even if you think – that no one's going to believe you. If your gut's telling you something's wrong, I think parents know when their kids are telling the truth. And it's not just something like we're making this up to be little shits. They can tell when you're like genuinely scared and that shit might be real.
1: Yeah. And I think if you come to them from a place of not trying to tattle, not trying to make something up, but I am concerned about this, Mm -hmm. that any good parents going to want to listen. And I mean, or a friend or whoever. And the worst case scenario is someone goes, I think you're kind of overreacted. Maybe not. In which case, go tell someone else. Mm -hmm. Someone will believe you. We'll believe you. Write us in. Write into Freaky Friday. But it sounded like this, whatever the the truck driver, the person in the gray truck, whatever they did, they had a little help covering it up from from this accomplice. Maybe he moved and
2: the parents stayed around to to tend to things until eventually Mm -hmm. it was in such a state of disrepair that they just destroyed it. Well, thank you. We love updates. So if anyone else has written this before and has an interesting update or more details they wanted to provide, let us know because listeners love that, too.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, this next one kind of harkens to the episode that came out this week, which we all know now national parks are haunted (laughs) and enter at your own risk. There are weird dogs that look CGI. Hellhounds. And if you saw our Instagram post today, you see what that hellhound or yesterday. You see uh, how ridiculous that hellhound looked from that show. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty incredible. Well, this one's from Garrett, and this is Acadia National Park, Glowing Sphere in the Fog. In the summer of 2017, my partner and I drove cross-country in a tiny teardrop trailer – hiking and camping at as many national parks as possible. We have lots of stories of meeting eccentric people at energy vortexes in Sedona, going on hikes in known Bigfoot territory, no sighting, sorry Heather, and many other wild encounters. However, the creepiest encounter from the trip was when we were staying at Acadia National Park in Maine, and one night we decided we wanted to leave our campsite that was in a more wooded area and drive to a rocky beach area for a better view for stargazing. It was my partner's idea to drive 40 minutes at night through the park to a specific beachy pull-off section that was off the main road. The night was warm and the sky was clear, until we turned off the main road and reached the beach area. It seemed like a wall of fog came out of nowhere, but we brushed it off since the ocean can bring in fog quickly. We finally found the little beach pull-off through all the dense fog and got out of our car. With all the fog, stargazing was out of the question. But since we'd driven a long way, my partner insisted we should at least dip our toes in the water and walk along the shore a bit. We pulled out flashlights and began walking across the rocky shore to the water. The beach was treacherous to walk across in the dark, so I had my flashlight pointed at my feet as we walked across slippery stones. The only sound besides the ocean tide was our own footsteps navigating the loose stones. We were about halfway to the water when a single glowing light appeared at the road where we had come from. I immediately felt a shift in energy in the air around us, and our fun nighttime adventure suddenly felt creepy, dangerous, and vulnerable. The single light was moving down the road closer to us, but there was no sound of a vehicle, and it was moving too quickly to be someone on foot or a bicycle. The light itself was strange. It was about the size of a basketball, glowing bright white, Too bright and clear in the dense fog to be any kind of camping equipment. We both froze in our tracks and watched the light pause for a moment, approximately where our car was parked. Then it smoothly made the transition from gravel road to rocky beach. We watched it slowly float across the stone beach, keeping a few hundred yards away from us. The light was not pointing at the ground like someone stumbling over stones. It glided smoothly across the beach toward the ocean. The light was gradually drifting closer to us, still progressing toward the water. Not sure if this could be a hiker, I pointed my flashlight in its direction and waved the beam back and forth to let them know we were on the beach with them. The light stopped moving. It copied the movements I had made exactly, and then went out. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and my partner said, We need to get back to the car now. I had never heard him sound so scared in our three-year relationship. We both started running across the slippery rocks toward the car, not caring that whoever or whatever was creating the light could see our flashlights hurriedly heading back to the road. When we made it to the car, I paused before getting in and waited to see if I could see or hear any sign of a person following us. But it was dead silent apart from the ocean. We drove away as fast as possible. As soon as we were back on the main road, the heightened sense of fear ebbed away. But I still think about what could have caused the glowing light to follow us to that beach and turn off its light on a foggy, slippery beach. My partner and I have debated if it could have been a cryptid, a spirit, or an alien encounter. I personally think, based on the vibes in the moment, that it was an alien-type encounter. It felt almost like a fishing lure being dropped by an alien spaceship, trying to tempt us to bite. Thank you both for making this podcast one of my favorite parts about Wednesdays and now Fridays. You laters are awesome, and I can't wait to see what's next for the pod.
0: Garrett. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. dollar forty-nine. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba
3: da ba ba ba.
1: Well, initially you hear it and you think maybe it's ball lightning, and then you see that it mocks you and it copies your movement, and then you know it's definitely an alien fishing lure. And I agree with Garrett's assessment. I don't like the the mimic the mimicking. No. Like you wave and it waves back? (laughs) No, that's creepy. Yeah. Cursed. Or that
2: it's like, oh, this is what I need to do to appear normal. But then it just goes out. I think it's creepier to have it go out than to be able to see it. Because if you see it, you know where it is. If it's out, next thing you know, it's right in front of your face.
1: Yeah. Then you got the glowing lights. Mm -mm. Wasn't that Stephen King? If you look into the lights? Dead lights. Maybe. Probably. The dead lights. The dead lights.
2: There you go. Well... More proof that fucked up stuff happens in national parks. <laughs> but also gorgeous. I'm sure the beach was gorgeous. Hopefully it was worth
1: potentially getting abducted to see the to see the nice rocky beach. I mean, if you want to get an alien encounter, I think going to a national park beach at night, that's a great idea. Also, stargazing, except for the fog. What if the fog was caused by the UFO?
2: Mm, one of the things that David Politis said about all of the missing persons the weird missing person incidents is that right before or right after they go missing strange weather occurrences are reported to which the uh the host of the interview said almost like someone's trying to wash away evidence and i was like oh shit that does make sense you almost got got but you're you're good though you (laughs) made it yeah yeah Well, this next one's from Haley, and it is called, Pretty Sure My Dad Worked at Area 51. Hello, ladies. Fairly new listener. And I just want to say, I found your podcast last year while I was pregnant, and you made me laugh so hard I had to pull over to pee. So thanks for that. You guys are absolutely delightful. Anyway, on to the story. Back in the day, late 70s, I believe, my dad lived in the middle of nowhere, Nevada, An hour to the nearest town and nothing to do but either get stoned or work. His words, not mine. So he did what any young man would do. As much of both as he could manage. He would work doing whatever he could find, from digging graves to fixing power lines. He would jump at any chance to stay busy. And at night, he would hang out under the stars and take a little space journey. Well, at some point, he stumbled onto a construction job building airplane hangars in the desert. Good pay and months worth of work. Sounds cool. What he didn't realize is that this work was on military property. On the first day he showed up, he was greeted by several highly armed men who gave some very specific directions. Do your job quickly. Stay on the construction site. Keep your eyes on your work. Rest assured, we will know if you don't comply. So Pops got to work digging foundation. And being the 19-year-old little shit he was, he decided to look up with his observation equipment to see if they were actually watching them. Spoiler, they definitely were. Up on the ridge was a man with a rifle trained right on him. And as my dad's gaze locked on this soldier, the man nodded once, giving him the chance to drop his gaze. Which he did, because he may be a shithead, but he wasn't stupid. They were not fucking around when they said they were watching. That was his one warning to follow the rules. They never once saw soldiers or vehicles while they were on site during those months. No other buildings or goings-on either, just building hangars in an empty-ass desert. They would be accompanied by one lone soldier who would sit by the open gate that led to the rest of the empty wasteland they called a base. He would read a book and eat his lunch while never saying a word, just there to make sure they stayed on site. One day near the end of the job, something snapped inside one of my dad's co-workers. Maybe it was the heat. Maybe it was the empty silence of the Nevada Deadlands, But out of the blue, the man threw down his tools and sprinted past the man by the gate. All work stopped as he and the other handful of workers stopped to see what would happen. Would he be shot? Would he step on a mine? Not even flinching, the soldier at the gate watched him run by into the empty field, set down his book, picked up the radio on his belt, and said a few words before going back to his reading. Before that man had run more than 20 feet, couldn't have been more than five minutes, A military Humvee was pulling up in the dirt beside him, soldiers spilling out as they slammed into the ground, bound his hands and feet, and threw him in the Hummer and took off. No one ever saw that guy again. Just gone. Dad always said it felt like shit, but he just put his head down and kept driving rivets into that hangar. The quicker this job was done, the faster he didn't have to worry about snipers on his back or faceless men taking him into the desert for a dirt nap or whatever they did to him. I've seen the place my dad grew up, but I've never been to these hangars because you get stopped before you can even get close enough to see them. And Google Maps has the whole area blacked out. And I can neither confirm nor deny if this base was actually Area 51. That information was obviously not disclosed. But I can confirm the U.S. government has something to hide out there. And if they don't want you to see it, you won't. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. And if your tour ever brings you anywhere close to Boise,
1: Idaho, I'll be in the front row. That really inspires you to work diligently is to know that someone's got a gun trained on you. It's the head nod. Like, yeah,
2: bitch, you want to go? You want to try something? I see No, sir. I'm getting back to my work. Definitely, um, if not Area 51, some kind of government testing. If Google Maps has it blacked out, They're not trying to get people to – that's a – you're showing up on a strictly need to know where you're going
1: type of thing. Oh, yeah. You're not getting any details. And that's when we covered uh, Skinwalker Ranch. They talked about Nevada, an area – I suppose it was downwind or it was upwind of the ranch because they were saying that they did a lot of nuclear testing and mm-hmm. that the radiation had mm-hmm. blown in with the, the wind. So it could, even if it's not Area 51, like you said, it's something the government done. not you see. It could be nuclear testing, bombs, whatever out there. And your dad did the right thing of like, head down, swing the hammer, get the fuck out. It's so interesting,
2: and maybe it's intentional, that they would hire just pedestrians to come Mm -hmm. 19 year old stoner kids to come do this but maybe it's because if those people go missing it's less likely to cause a big stink
1: Damn, that's true, because if that kid was just, you know, kind of like rolling around, you know, job to job, not really keeping a job for a long time, the one that went that mm-hmm. went off and took off running, and then he goes missing, then, you know, if they go, well, we'll keep an eye out for him. But, you know, he's just going from job to job. Maybe he just left town when really he got thrown in a facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: super creepy stuff. That's a that's a good one. I like that. So thank you so much, Haley,
1: for sending that in. This next one we have is from Stephanie M., and the subject line is The Redheaded Ghost with an Affinity for the Closet. Hi, ladies. I've been wanting to sit down and write this out to you for so long, and I'm so glad that I'm finally taking the time to do it. My name is Stephanie. Yes, you may use it. And I am a high school counselor, wife, and mama three from Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up in an oldish neighborhood not too far from Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby is held. My childhood home was built in the late 1920s or early 1930s, and my family moved in when I was around three years old. It was a very basic house with two bedrooms on the main floor, a kitchen, living room, one bathroom, yes, just one, and a partially finished basement. The third bedroom was a dormer on the second floor with two tiny doors, one on each side of the room that opened to the attic. When I was around 13 years old, I moved my bedroom upstairs into the dormer room, and that's when I started to notice activity. I won't say that it didn't happen before this, but I think maybe I was oblivious, or because the first level was pretty small and everyone was so close together and making noise, that I'd never been surrounded by true quiet. The room had only been used for storage up until then, so I would be the first person to sleep there since my family purchased the house. After painting and decorating my new walls with splatter paint and posters of Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek, nice, hey, it was the late 90s, I was pumped to finally be upstairs in my new room, on the second floor, by myself. I had my own phone, which still plugged into the wall, two cute little attic access doors, which I planned to open up and put pillows and soft cushions in for a reading nook, and a window AC unit that I could make as cold as I wanted in the summer. There is no central heating or AC on the second floor of the house, and it gets hot as balls in Kentucky in the summer, so this unit was a huge plus. Plus. The first night I slept in my new room, I had a little trouble getting used to the new sounds of that part of the house, or at least that's what I thought. I tossed and turned a lot and was super groggy when I finally had to get out of bed. I remember putting my feet on the floor, rubbing my eyes, and then noticing that both of the attic access doors were wide open. A chill ran down my spine. I did not leave those doors open. I knew they were closed before I got in bed, right? I second-guessed myself closed them both quickly, and went downstairs to get ready. Nothing else happened for a few weeks until I suddenly jolted myself awake in the middle of the night when my prized AC unit shut off on its own. This was not a unit that had a timer or that went off and on on a schedule. There was an actual switch. You had to turn to the left or to the right to stop and start the air. My first thought was that the unit had died and my mom was going to be super pissed the next morning when I told her. Somehow it was going to be my fault, and I just knew I was going to get blamed for breaking it after only sleeping upstairs for a few weeks. But when I got out of bed and walked over to the window, I could see that the switch was clearly in the off position. What the hell? I switched it back on and turned to get back in bed, but before I could make it there, I heard the air turn off behind me. I turned my head slowly without moving my body and could see the switch back in the off position. I bolted across the room, dove into bed, and pulled the covers over my head because covers can protect you from all forms of evil and weirdness, right? I never mentioned the doors opening or the AC malfunction to my parents because my mom is the type of parent that wouldn't let me listen to Madonna because that there is the devil music, so I knew she would just blow off my concerns as my wild imagination or something. Ghosts, spirits, or some kind of haunted presence would not have been considered. Over the next several years, small occurrences like the attic doors being open, the AC turning off and on by itself, the knob on my stereo turning right in front of my eyes, and my TV randomly changing channels in the middle of a show continued to happen, but only upstairs in the dormer room, until they weren't. I would often feel like I was being watched when I was in my room alone, and sometimes I could just feel a presence, but nothing that ever took form or that seemed harmful in any way so I just kept the upstairs spirit and my experiences to myself. I did, however, refuse to put a mirror in my room because something I had read somewhere along the way told me that mirrors were portals for spirits, and I believed that with my whole heart. Around the time I turned 16, the presence in my room made its way down to the first floor. At least, I'm assuming it's the same presence. I guess I'll never know for sure. I was in the bathroom with a friend. We'll call her Ricky, Getting ready for a football game. You know, the kind of game where you just walk around and talk to people and never even look at the score or even really know what teams are playing. Yep, that kind of game. So we were going all out with the hair and makeup. We were both in the one bathroom, me looking into the mirror that faced the wall behind me and Ricky using the mirror that faced the hallway. Suddenly, Ricky stopped mid eyeshadow swipe and turned to me. I thought we were here alone, she asked, her voice confused but not yet afraid. We are, I answered, not sure what she was getting at. Well, then who just walked down your hallway, she asked. I froze. I dropped my blush brush and I went out into the hall. It's not a huge space, and one side of the hall ended in a closet, so I would have been able to see if someone had come home. There's no one there, I told Ricky, and she went on to describe a red-headed woman in a dark skirt and white top that had walked down the hall toward the closet door. I had never told Ricky about any of my strange experiences since moving upstairs a few years prior. She was a newish friend and I didn't want her to think I was crazy, but I told her that night and she believed me. Ricky was the first person to see a presence in my childhood home, but she wasn't the last. The final sighting before I moved out at age 19 was eerily similar to my experience with Ricky. I was with another friend getting ready in the bathroom and the friend said she saw a red-headed woman walk down my hall toward the closet door. That friend was creeped the hell out and never wanted to go back to that house again while I lived there. I have to say I was a little disappointed that I never actually saw the red-headed woman that was always headed to hang out in the hallway coat closet. I never talked about the experiences I had in the house with my family until my brother was a teenager. He and I are 11 years apart, and he was just 8 when I moved out. Once he was old enough, my parents asked him if he wanted to move upstairs into my old room. He refused. He told me that something just didn't feel right to him in there, and he didn't know how I slept there for so long. Honestly, I can't say that the experiences were super warm and fuzzy, but I was never afraid for my safety, and I never felt threatened. Also, if you ever look into the Waverly Sanitarium, I have a story about a little illegal self-guided tour some friends and I took during my senior year of high school, if you're interested. Well, we are. We're always interested. <laughs> of course we're interested.
2: Yeah. Man, I could picture this room, and that would have been my haven.
1: Oh, yeah. It sounds so badass mm-hmm. in theory.
2: Having your own – I had my own AC situation in the house I grew up in, and it was clutch. Lucky. Mm-hmm. Man, that's nice. It was very nice because my room had been the – part like this room of the attic so it had to be like converted into an actual bedroom so i got my own ac situation going in there it was very very nice but yeah having a little nook and like a little reading nook and then you realize somebody else is using that nook to get back and forth
1: yeah the nook was a portal we had no idea
2: i'm fine with somebody coming in my room and doing whatever but i'll be damned if you're going to turn off my ac that's, so you're about to get...
1: We're going to have fighting words. We're going to have an exorcism mm-hmm. priest. I'm going to sage this bitch. You're about to go to the netherworld if yep. you fucking touch my AC. Mm-mm. No, You can hang not. out. We can watch TV together and listen to the radio. But do not fuck with the air. Yeah, even if you want to change the channel while I'm watching TV. I might have been watching it, but we can compromise here. But the air stays the fuck Mm-mm. on. Always. Sorry uh stephanie uh you did the right thing sharing your story with a newish friend and maybe that made your friendship closer i do get not wanting to be like do you want to come get ready at my house it's haunted don't (laughs) worry we'll be in and out uh but it sounds like uh ricky was a a good listener there Mm -hmm. well thanks for sending that in stephanie this next one is from hannah and my dad's horses protected me from a no deer
3: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hi there. My name is Hannah. I'll save the gushing for later. This is a bit of a doozy of a story. My parents live in the middle of 40 acres, and when they have to go out of state, I take care of the property. They currently have two dogs and two horses, all of whom I've helped raise since they were babies. So it's safe to say I have a good standing with all the animals. My folks has prided themselves in creating a little sanctuary for wildlife on their land, especially deer. This is important to the story. On one such occasion of me running the farm of sorts, I was in the pasture feeding the horses. Now, if you know anything about horses, they don't typically like people near their rear ends, save for rituals like brushing down, washing, saddling up, etc., And when you do have to walk around their rears, you need to let them know where you are without startling them. I was closing the trailer where we keep the food and other supplies when I turned around and noticed both of my dad's horses getting really close until they formed almost an arrow in front of me with their rear ends almost touching me. I began to soothingly talk to them, patting their sides and encouraging them to go eat. I tried not to get freaked out because horses can feel emotions and I wanted them to calm down. At the same time, I began to notice that the pasture felt too quiet. It's that quiet before something big happens, like a storm or you're being watched. That's when I noticed a group of deer about 10 feet away from us. Now, while it's not uncommon to see deer frequently, they never came close to us when we were out on the acreage, so this felt off right away. I begin to tell the horses to let me through again when I notice one of the deer looked wrong the proportions were off and its stare it stared directly at me and through me at the same time I felt my knees begin to buckle as it's too dark off-center gaze kept me in my place I tried to call out get away from us but it only came out as a stuttering whimper we only held that moment for maybe 30 seconds but it felt like an eternity All of a sudden, Basie, the quarter horse, let out an aggressive snort and took two steps forward, almost to say, try me, motherfucker. And that's when the deer took off into the woods. The not deer's gait looked as if he was trying to run with two extra legs, and his gaze stayed on me until he was forced to look away. Once they were out of sight, I clung to the horses to lead them to safety of the barn before running as fast as my chubby legs could take me back to the house. I may be white, but I'm not that white person who stays around to find out. That night, both my parents' dogs slept in the room and the guest bedroom. What makes it even eerier is that almost every 30 minutes, they were at the window growling menacingly. I think I only got 20 minutes of sleep that night. I know this isn't that big of a deal, but I wanted to send it in just in case anyone else had a similar experience of animals protecting them from something that could have made life a lot more interesting. Ooh. Well, Hannah. more proof
2: that these not deers are a thing. They are. I, They're around. A lot of people have said um, mangy coyotes or other type of animals with mange because if you look at pictures of those, severe mange can be. I mean, it's it's very sad and very uh, painful for the animal. But they, you know, because they can't walk quite quite right because of their situation and everything. Uh, it kind of looks like unnatural and stuff. So maybe a mangy deer, maybe uh something otherworldly. The animals, especially horses, are smart as shit. So smart, dude! I love horses. They're so healing and emotional, and and smart, and just such great companions. Like. I- Man, if I could have a horse, I, I would have a horse. I would too. Yeah, they just I got your back. It. I would love.
1: I think Ella would love a horse. She'd be a fantastic horse kid. She'd brush it, ride it, braid its tail. Yeah,
2: it's a. It's very good. Like, um, they're very therapeutic. I've had mm-hmm. some friends that have gone to, um, uh, sort not retreats, but like. Camps, at your, like uh, re- rehabilitation centers, where oh, cool. um, horses play a big part in it. And, you mm-hmm. know, it teaches them, like, responsibility and kind of just um, having something to connect with when it might be hard to connect with people. So I love horses. And that the, they were trying to protect her and knew something was up, then it seems like something we'll was it. up.
1: Same with the dogs. Animals know shit that we don't. For real. And you see, like i I was walking Buffy once and a guy got up to lunch like he was sitting on a bench and like lunged towards me and I just wasn't even looking that direction, didn't even see it. But it was like before he had even set up, I don't know if she saw him looking at us or whatever, but she she's the nicest dog you've met her. Mm-hmm. She does I love not her. goose is, Goose is the vicious now, one. She'll Buffy take the- your head off. Oh God. Buffy is the most docile and just turned and was like Mm. And I'm like, Buffy, what the fuck? When that guy jumped up, I was like, damn, she knew. So it's like those horses. Was he jumping their- up to threaten you? He just, he's, he, he like wanted to talk to me. You know, it was like, hey, that's a good looking dog. And oh. I was like, don't hit on me, man. Come yeah. on. I'm trying to yeah. walk my dog. Um, and just like, yeah, it's a nice night out tonight, mm-hmm. and, but was too like yeah. close as yeah. far as proximity. So she knew. But it's like, she knew. Yeah. So I think those, these horses coming in this V arrow pattern mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's like a natural instinct of like something's on the horizon. We got to protect our person.
2: And how smart that it wasn't just one horse. It was just, like they both communicated with each other to be like, all right, this is what we do. We get in the B sh- the V shape mm-hmm. to protect our human. I also can relate to I don't love when people are around my ass and I'd like to be warned if you're going to get back there or Hard I'd relate. like kick you.
1: <laughs> Hard relate. Well, thank you very much, Hannah. And this final one is from Kelly. Subject line. My Date with an Almost Domestic Terrorist.
4: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: I don't know how to ease into this gently, but let's just say that when the girls and I are sitting around talking about crazy dates, I win every time. No one else's dates ever end with an FBI interview. The setting is Dallas slash Mesquite, Texas, 2011. I had been in contact with a guy who used to live down the street from me. I met him when I was around 10 and spent a lot of time around his house hanging out with his sister. When I was 13, I was in his house painting my nails when it got raided by SWAT. So you could say we knew each other well. He felt like the big brother I never had for a while. So when this guy joined the military, I kept contact. I felt bad for him He was having a terrible time in the military, so when he told me he was coming home on leave on a July weekend and asked if I would be willing to get coffee with him, I obviously accepted. He seemed like he needed a friend. He comes by to pick me up and immediately opens up his trunk to show me Lego sets? Like fully constructed Lego sets in his trunk. I've really never understood that part, but anyway, he doesn't want to get the coffee that he offered. Because of some conspiracy theory that I still don't understand. So we end up at a sit-down restaurant. He ordered a chocolate milk at an olive garden, which should have told me just how crazy this would be from the jump. I start to realize that he's dressed very nicely. The car was very clean. He's wearing cologne and he has a fresh fade. He's complimenting my appearance a lot. Then it hits me. Is this a date? I can tell he's very manic. His accent is suddenly Jordanian. He's talking a lot and making zero sense. He's mocking the waiter's speech impediment and acting very bizarre. I'm freaking mortified. He's asking me to go away with him, go to a club, or go on a road trip. I got up to use the restroom, and when I came back, my phone was gone. He tries to convince me I took it with me to the restroom, but I remember leaving it on the table. Then he tries to convince me that the waiter must have stolen it. But, like, you're sitting right here, dude. How would he do that? At this point, I've eaten my fill and heard an hour of rambling. I'm realizing my beloved childhood friend is now beyond my reach. I'm just ready to go home. He leaves for the restroom. I slide the waiter a big tip and apologize profusely. The waiter offered to call someone for me, but I just wanted to go home, and I wasn't afraid of my friend. We head out but not before he shows me the freaking Lego sets in his trunk again. Like, I get it, my guy, they're Legos. Please just drive me home. We get in the car and then his mania ramps up to a thousand. We're driving down 30 and he's still trying to convince me to go to a club with them. I decline and he asks me my exit. Jim Miller, I reply. He replies, or I could just take you out to the middle of nowhere where no one can hear you scream. This was a voice I had never heard in all my years talking to him. It was like he was terrified and excited. Nope, Jim Miller, I replied. He blinked at me, confused, like I was clearly not hearing him, white-knuckling the steering wheel, but now he sounds frustrated on top of everything else. He's half screaming, half growling, repeating his threats. He's going to take me off somewhere and no one will find me. No one will hear me, etc. I blink back. I yawn. Nuh-uh, Jim Miller, it's right up there, I say, pointing at my exit. To this day, I cannot explain why I replied so casually like that. I was dang near peeing in my shorts. I yawn when I'm terrified, but he didn't seem to know that. He must have thought I was either the bravest or the dumbest human alive out there yawning at death threats from enlisted soldiers. He drove me home, suddenly stunned silent, still white-knuckling he followed me into my house uninvited. I didn't freak out because boredom in the face of death seemed to be working so far, and if it ain't broke. I let him stand there awkwardly talking to me for a few minutes and then just kind of calmly told him he needed to leave now. Homie just left? I guess my reaction was so unimpressed that he kind of lost his footing on whatever he had planned. I can't say I recommend this approach, but it worked this one time. A few weeks later, the FBI is trying to track me down at a bar I used to work for. I call them back and they're flabbergasted that I hadn't heard the news. My childhood friend and awkward life threatener, Nasser Jason Abdo, has been arrested at Fort Hood in the middle of planning a terrorist attack. Turns out Nasser was AWOL when he took me to dinner. I'll let you do the Googling to see what he did. I had to go meet with the FBI. They seemed a little sideways that I didn't report it at the time, but one, I didn't know for sure if he stole my phone. Two, I didn't think vague threats warranted police interaction. And three, he certainly never mentioned anything about bombs. I would have reported that. Reporters called me nonstop for weeks because, according to the FBI, I was the last known contact that he saw before he left for Fort Hood, and they figured out I was pretty entangled in his early life, too. I didn't give a statement because it was all too weird at the time, and it felt like superfluous to add on a bunch of irrelevant accusations to what he was already facing. Also, I was afraid that the public would probably be pretty unkind to me if they heard my story. So anyway, mental health is wild. Check on your friends and don't ignore the changes. He was always a super sweet, brotherly, protective, kind-hearted guy until he wasn't. I ignored 500 red flags because it was just too hard to believe that the teddy bear of a guy that I had known would ever hurt me or anyone else. I know people don't want to hear good things about people who could do something awful, but it's valuable to know that even good people need to be checked on, and that even the guy who gives the best hugs might drive off the deep end too. I'm so glad that someone reported him when I clearly didn't believe the signs that were in front of me. I'll never really know if he actually wanted to hurt me, I guess— I don't know if I want to know. Jason was sentenced to two life terms plus 60 years in a supermax prison. I pray he finds peace and gets the help that he needs. Well, I did
2: some Googling while you were reading. Yes. And I think I do remember this happening now. This happened also, he was arrested on July 27th. So this was right around this time in 2011. Um, But... What's interesting is he was arrested on what he was going to do.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: determined that he was um possibly going to he was building some bombs in a room and was going to use it to blow up a restaurant near the the near the what is it called to blow up Forehead? a restaurant near the base where the soldiers ate so I've been wondering, because there was another case we covered recently too, if it's a military type thing, even if you don't actually kill someone but you had plans to, it seems like the sentence is way greater than if you were just a pedestrian and and you actually went through with this.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not what it was. Oh, he was attempted murder, attempted murder of a federal employee, attempted use of a weapon of mass destruction, possession of a weapon during a crime of violence. So you can be if you've taken positive steps like going and buying a bunch of smokeless gunpowder, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what set. The authorities off, the people at this gun shop were like, this guy bought a lot of smokeless They found at
2: his hotel room handgun ingredients for explosive device, God. including gunpowder, shrapnel, and pressure cookers. Also, there was an article in the room that was called Make a Bomb in the Kitchen of Your Mom from Inspire Magazine. First of all, Inspire, what the fuck are you doing? Why? Why does that need um, to be? Yeah. And then... There was also reports that he had child pornography on a computer, which he denied. Oof. He also represented himself at his trial.
1: And so he went his wife. What is what did uh, she say? He's spending two life terms yeah. plus 60 years in a supermax. That mm-hmm. sounds about right for somebody represent themselves. Yeah. I mean, when you you see that they can put all the pieces together, if they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you attempted to do this and you were stopped, then, yeah, you're you're going to jail. And again, because you don't have an attorney, federal uh, courts are pretty hard to navigate on your own. Well, I imagine he denied it if they yeah. I'm sh- they must have offered him one, but if
2: he's he clearly was not um, doing well mentally, so if, I don't know, at what point is it declared that he is not even mentally capable to say he wants to represent himself? Like, obviously this guy shouldn't, he's going to do himself a disservice by doing that.
1: Well, and you if you're found competent to stand trial, you understand the nature of the charges against you. You understand Mm -hmm. there's no they don't stop you from just being foolish, which I think representing yourself in federal Mm -hmm. terrorist charges is extremely foolish. I saw it happen when I was an intern and that didn't go well for that Mm -hmm. guy either, because you don't understand the intricacies of uh, evidence law and questioning and, and rebuttal arguments and things like that. So if you are competent to stand trial, you're competent to deny uh, decline having representation. A lot of times, and I didn't look into his case, but A lot of times a a judge will say, well, I'm not going to have you represented because you've declined it. What I'm going to do is have a federal public defender sit at the table with you, and if you have questions, you can, like, ask them questions, but they're not your lawyer. Oh, Um, interesting. Like a law clerk almost. You know what? Just to – you do that because then when someone gets convicted, they're not like, well, I didn't even have any help. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, you declined the help. But in that case, you go, well, you did, and you still didn't really. Mm -hmm. Uh, You didn't do so hard. Wikipedia says – he is alleged to have planned the bombing
2: because of his opposition as a Muslim to the U.S. war in Afghanistan. But the U.S. attorney, Robert Pittman, compared the plot to the 2012 mass murders by two other American men, which was the movie theater shooting in Aurora, Colorado, and um, at a Sikh temple in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. He said okay, Abdo yes. would plan to use violence to advance his twisted agenda. Well... It's it is a real bummer when someone that you thought you knew and that you knew really well I think it sounds like he's he had a mental break and things went south for him and that's really hard to come to terms with when they're not the person that you grew up with and knew especially when they turn on you and you're like what why would you ever act like this and mm-hmm. I think that I think that Kelly brings up a good point about People don't like to hear the other side of people they may consider a monster. That, like, he used to be a good guy. He was really nice. He gave the best hugs. But that stuff, I think, is important because it highlights that, like she said, check on your friends. If something mm-hmm. seems off because this is how you remembered them and now they have taken a complete 180, check in on them. Even if it's, it's hard to believe it, but like she said – Other people saw the red flags. When you're so close to something, it's hard to see the red flags. So, But like with all of these, in your gut, you're like, something isn't right. So
1: train yourself to listen to your gut. And it's hard if you've lost touch and then you Mm -hmm. meet up with them. You just sort of assume they're the same. And then when they're kind of strange, you're like, well, maybe they're just having an off day. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like people that were around him uh, made some reports as well that, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of saw the descent so you kelly you, you did the best with what you could have done at the time especially yeah. just trying to save yourself if someone's drinking chocolate milk at an olive garden and says on the way home that they're gonna take you to a field i think Oof. you just are fight or flight right it's that's just survival terrifying mode. yeah yeah
2: good so. on the waiter too for recognizing this doesn't seem right and offering to call mm-hmm. i'm always very impressed and thankful when Bartenders or waiters or whatever step in because they they see enough shit to know and I they're trained a lot of them are trained to like if you see this happen then offer help or whatever so yeah good on good on the waiter too well thank you everyone for sending in your Freaky Friday stories if you have an odd but true story maybe you've encountered Bigfoot you've seen a UFO you had a brush with true crime or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being. Send them in at Sinisterhood.com freakyfriday Freaky Friday. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show.
1: As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in Rolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini this month it's about Ezra Miller, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am on the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, Wedded Drama, True Crime Headlines, and more. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real
2: time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions.
1: For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option are rewarded with a free month of membership. And make sure you also click those three little dots at the top to share this episode or any other episode
2: you want to share with someone. You can also go to Sinisterhood.com playlist and pick a curated topic-based playlist to share with whoever you're feeling true crime you're feeling freaky fridays whatever it is freaky friday we got you covered for more details on all of this and specific member tiers visit sinisterhood.com
1: and click patreon on the top banner so many of you have been tagging us and pictures of you sporting your sweet sinisterhood merch keep those pictures coming if you want to get some cool sinisterhood swag like t-shirts mugs totes and even clothes for your kiddos or dogs, they can wear kid shirts too. Visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us
2: grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so
1: much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at? I'm on
2: Instagram at Christy M. Wallace, and I'm on TikTok and Twitter at Christy or GTFO.
1: Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK vs. the World, and on TikTok and Instagram at Heather vs. the World. As
2: always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.
1: Sinister.